I am Randy, one of the teaching team, and glad to be with you. I have been uh, on, as they say, for the last few weeks, and we'll do two more, and then I'll be done for a while and let the rest of the team manage the next two sections of material. We, um, for the last few months now, I looked and we started in May, and so I guess that means a few months. I can't say the last couple of months anymore. The last few months, we have been in a financial series called Avoiding the Fiscal Cliff. And uh, I've said this each week because sometimes we have guests and they haven't heard any of this. And sometimes because I want us to remember because we don't always remember what we heard last week. Our goal in looking at this material and financial series is that we want to learn about God's ways as related to money and finance. And we have suggested that God's ways are not our ways, nor are they the world's ways. And we have been raised in a culture and a society that has very clear uh, teaching and presentation about what is good and bad in the area of finances and economy. And having more and getting more and holding on to more is a part of the value system of our society. And we have suggested that that's not quite what God's heart is, and we're going to talk really quite a bit about that today. That is maybe maybe spill over into next week. Got a lot of spilling over today we're going to be looking at. Uh, one of the passages that we have looked at in this series is from 2 Corinthians. I've mentioned that chapters uh, 8 and 9 Uh, of 2 Corinthians are full of material on God's ways about finance. If if you went to that, those two chapters and and read almost nothing else, though there is tons in there, uh, you could learn a lot about God's ways in those two chapters. And uh, in chapter 9, verses 8 through 11, there is just an incredible uh, declaration by Paul about God's intention for us as his people and what our lives are to look like, and what his part is in that. So I'm just going to read verse 8 first. And this is Paul's declaration. This is kind of the picture, if you might, of what God wants for us. God is able to make all grace come to you in abundance, so that you may always, and under all circumstances, whatever the need be self-sufficient, possessing enough to require no aid or support, and furnished in abundance for every good work and charitable donation. Now, every time I read that word self-sufficient, I've not clarified, and I want to make sure that you understand. The self-sufficient there is the fact that we are not needing the provision of other people to help us make it. It's not self-sufficient, and I did it my way. It's the sufficiency that God has provisioned, that my working with God has, has made possible so that not only are my needs resourced and met, but that there is more than enough for me to give to others. That's what that self-sufficient is meaning. It's really not a selfish thing. You got that one? Everybody okay with that word now? Each week, I've read it a couple different weeks, and I just kind of, mm, okay, we're not self-sufficient. It's God's supply. But there is a sufficiency that is coming into our household that there will be surplus. Okay, 
So that's expressed here then in the rest of it. It's abundance for every good work, charitable donation. Then verses 10 and 11 give us what we're describing as four biblical uses for money uh, in, langu- in agricultural and farming language. God, who provides seed for the sower and bread for eating, will also provide and multiply your resources for sowing and an increase the fruits of your righteousness, which manifests itself in an active goodness, kindness, and charity. Thus, you will be enriched in all things and in every way so that you can be generous and your generosity will bring forth thanksgiving to God. Now, I'm just going to insert here, totally on an aside, we have families now that have begun to be foster. We have families here that have adopted children. We have others that are planning and considering an adoption. That is an expression of this passage. That, that comment about Nigel having a surplus of love is a part of the blessing of God in the McKay's family and lives It's not so much financial, that blessing, in this application. It's an aspect of giving provision, but it's including that. Yes, I understand that there are funds that come to households at times for foster. Cool. That's cool that we don't have to carry the full brunt of those things. But uh, I think I've heard something about sleepless nights and kids awake and all that kind of stuff this week. And that is a part of the generosity and the enrichment in all things that we can give to those who love. All right. Sorry for that aside. It's just it's a cool thing that's happening. That first statement there, seed for sowing. God provides seed for sowing. I mentioned last week that um, a farmer would never sell and distribute and use up all of their seed in historical eras. Where, I mean, nowadays we just go out and buy another bag of seed. Farmer would. But historically... Particularly, of course, when this material was taught, the farmer would always withhold, hold back, not withhold, hold back in reserve that which is needed for sowing for the next harvest. And we are paralleling that seed that God provisions to us for sowing as a first fruits that we're to give to him or the tithe, as is described and talked about. And I talked about that last week. Secondly, Paul uses the term bread for eating. Of course money is available to us for the sustenance of our household. That is a part of God's provision of what, it, what money is to do when it comes into our household. Thirdly, however, Paul speaks of multiplication of resources for sowing, investment for kingdom purposes. And, and this is that thing we're describing and talking about, that There is sufficiency inside the household so that there is a surplus that can then flow over to others and to God's purposes. And finally, Paul speaks about increasing fruits of righteousness and generous giving. I think it's interesting that of these four that he's describing here, three of them are for giving away. Only one of these uses of money in this passage has to do with our using it. The other three are all about giving. And that, we said, is the economy of God. I even suggested last week that the currency of our worldly systems being money, the currency in God's economy is grace. Not getting what you don't deserve, which is mercy, 
But grace being the empowering ability and presence of God in our lives to be able to do and accomplish all that he wants us to do. So grace is involved in giving. It's huge. That's the currency of giving in God's economy. All right. So we're going to go into discussion of bread for eating, and we may, if we have time, uh, begin into the section having to do with the multiplication of resources for sowing. But before we do that, let's pray. Papa, as you and I talked this morning, I, I, I just so believe that it is your heart for us to understand your ways regarding finance. And as thrilling as that would be to put into place these principles and practices so that we might be able to make ends meet, that that's not the end. The goal of understanding and experiencing your economy is the resourcing of others. And Lord, that just, that just isn't as fully expressed as you would want it to be. And it's one of those places where we're clogged. And I just ask in Jesus' name that you would cleanse us and heal us, that you would uh, change our minds about the way we view money and the, we view finances and the, the power and impact in, in, uh, that the spirit of mammon is having on us would be diminished. And that we would be those people who stand in confidence and peace in your provision and and resources, whether we have money or not. But I thank you that you have always promised to provide. And that you have demonstrated that scripturally in so many places. The manna, the quail, the water, the multiplying of food the bread, the fish, the wine. (laughs) You've just said, I'm going to provide. And some of us are locked up in fear. We don't really believe that. I have struggled with that this very year, God, and I'm sorry about that. So help us now. Help us get and understand your heart in these things. In Jesus' name. As I've mentioned, and I think as we all would would say we know and understand in our mind, it's God's heart to always supply and provide for our needs as his children. When a parent or parents do not extend appropriate care to their children of the necessities of life, sadly on occasion, child protective services is required to come in and help to care for those children, removing them from those homes and making them available to be cared for in the homes of others who will provide those necessities. That's a part of the life that God has for us. Baby birds are taken care of by their parents. Baby animals are provided for by their parents. In humanity, it is the appropriate thing for parents to provide for their children. And God is much more concerned for us and much more resourced to provide for us than any human parent. Listen to these words of Jesus from Matthew 7, 11. If you then are evil, if you then who are evil, anybody want to relate to that one? I can most days. 
know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? How much more? How much above and beyond? How much surplus does God want to provide into us and towards us? Matthew 6, 25, 26, I tell you, do not worry. Do not be anxious about the food or drink you need to live or about the clothes you need to wear. Life is more than food. The body is more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, but your heavenly Father feeds them, and you know that you are of much more worth. Much more Those words are all over the Bible. God is the God of much more than enough. And you are worth much more to God than you think you do. But not only is God committed to providing what we need, He's committed to providing abundantly above our needs. Paul is encouraging the Ephesians... teaching them to pray. And he says, this is my prayer for you, that you may have the power to comprehend with all God's children what is the breadth and length and height and depth of God's love and to know that love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness, all the overflowingness of God who by the power at work within him is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. Now, I always read that and I go, "Mm -hmm, I can imagine a lot. I think you can too. But the text says that God can and has the power to accomplish abundantly far more than we ask or imagine. So I might just throw this in as a thought. Huh. If that's what God can do and that's not what I'm experiencing, I wonder where the problem is. My guess is it's not on God's end. Might be, but God of love, God who is love, who knows no evil, can't do anything bad or wrong, Probably not on his, pro- on his side. So, if God is so desirous and so able to abundantly provide for our needs, why is there so often a lack of money in Christian lives? A couple of thoughts I have on the topic. The first, you're just going to kind of go, okay, Randy, I've heard you say that before. God is sovereign. And that while he is sovereign, the world and we, his children, live within the domain and rulership of Satan. And we touched on this in the early part of this series. The world is broken. It fell into evil hands in the garden. And it has been ruled by a sinister evil force called Satan, demons, The evil one, Jesus called him the prince of the ruler of this world. Only a prince, not a king. Just a thought. 
So the first answer as to why Christians have so little money is the same answer as to why there is evil in the world and why bad things happen to good people. We live in a broken system and world. We live in a fallen world where there, that is under decay. It's ruled by a spirit of sin, evil, and death. And he is always wanting to thwart Christians, particularly from having sufficient resources because they might be tempted to actually give some of it away, unlike most of his folks that just love to clutch it. That's my suggestion for a first reason why there is a lack. But I would suggest that we can't do much about that one, but maybe this one we can. The second answer is why there is often a lack of money in Christian homes is that those Christians are living, as we've suggested in this series, according to the world's economic system, which is ruled by that evil spirit of mammon, rather than living according to God's economic system, which is why we're taking time in this series, taking time to teach through this series and this topic. In previous weeks, I've talked about the difference between the world's economic system and God's economic system. I've said that the world's economic system is based on exchange, equal exchange, buying and selling. I'll give you five bucks, you give me that which is worth five. But God's economy is based on mercy. And it uses receiving and giving rather than buying and selling. And one of the distinctions of these two economies is that the spirit of mammon tempts us to believe that money is our source. And that if we're going to be secure, then we need to have more money. The spirit of mammon also tempts us to believe that our happiness is based on how much money we have. And our unhappiness is based on how little we have. And, of course, the issues of what money can bring and give. And as a result of these attitudes, mindsets, beliefs that even we as Christians believe, we can find ourselves desiring more and more, and as a result, living in bondage and beyond our means. At one time, I did the research on how many Americans actually live under their paycheck per month. long time ago, I don't have those uh, statistics, but I think we all can imagine it's, it's the majority of people are spending more, which is why we're in debt, it's why our country is in debt, spending more than we bring in. God's economy teaches us that God is our source, and as a result, we can be secure, content, and at peace with what God gives us. Paul is probably one of the most clear examples of this. Of course, Christ was as well, but we don't recognize it as clearly. Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12 say, this is Paul, I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little. I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and being in need. Now, that's a cool presentation of someone who has found living in God's economy. His contentment is not based on, is everything going okay? 
How are my circumstances? I've said so many, many times, but you haven't all heard it before. What in the world are you doing under the circumstances? We say to people, how are you doing under the circumstances? How are you doing under... Don't get under the circumstances. It's really difficult under there. I've been there. It's not fun. We need to learn to get on top of the circumstances. And that's what this is talking about. Paul's saying it doesn't matter my circumstances. My joy in life, my contentment, my security, it's not based on how much money I've got or don't have. It's based that my mind and my eyes are fixed on God. That He is my source, that He is my provision, and that then we learn to live within that framework of having little or having much. That's what this is suggesting. In our American society and in many Western countries, we've been taught by the spirit of mammon that we are entitled to a nice home or a nice apartment, a nice car or a relatively nice car, a really nice smartphone or just a nice smart nice phone. We're particularly entitled to good food and good coffee. Right, Bob? That's right. He's got it on it. You got it on your hip today still? Oh, it's right in front of you. Okay. He often wears a hip one. It's always there, that coffee mug. But we also feel entitled related to our time and money for entertainment and leisure. We, we deserve a weekend. We only have to work 40 hours. We have, a, we have been raised with a, an understanding of entitlement that comes from the spirit of mammon. And while the Bible does not promise specifically those particular things, it clearly promises that in, it is God's heart and His intent, His goal is to make all grace come to you in abundance so that you may always and under all circumstances and whatever the need be fully sufficient, possessing enough to require no aid or support and furnished in abundance for every good work and charitable donation. That's God's promise. That's what God wants to do for you. I'd like that to happen. I kind of think that would feel pretty good. The Bible also clearly promises that if we seek first, above all else, God's rulership and His ways, He will provide for our needs. Matthew 6.33 The challenge here, friends, is not on God's side. It's on ours. What is hindering this flow of resource that God wants to bring and give? Well, one of the first checks is our heart. Heart check. I go to the doctor usually every year for my annual exam thing, and they do the little EKG thing, and my doctor says, wow, your heart's great. So I didn't go this year. I'll go next year. Every year for 15 years. Your heart's great. Okay, well, this might be the year I die, but I doubt it. I, I went to another kind of appointment and spent the money there. Anyway, but how is our heart? What's the heart check? What are our affections? If our heart and affections are for God and living according to His ways, then He is free to lavish us with gifts and blessing, and I'm going to use the word 
prosperity, surplus. Because if He is our source, if we are committed to that, if we are firstly seeking Him in His kingdom, and more money comes to us, it's not going to be a problem. But if that's not taken care of, and we're wrestling with our heart and our affections and our wants, and the things we desire, our heart wanter. How does Rice call it, Kevin? What's he, the wanter? Well, that's Dallas Willard. Okay. He talk, Dallas Willard talks about our wanter having a problem that needs to get fixed. But he equates that to our heart. So if our heart and affections are upon the things of this world, that nicer car, getting out of debt, being able to give my kids everything I want, then God is limited from lavishing upon us because we might get into trouble and more bondage and eventually greater pain and loss. And so his hands are pulled back. So the first biblical principle that we've looked at, the first application of the use of money is the tithe. The second is bread for eating. God is committed to our sustenance for our household. But friends, he does not want to stop there. The third biblical use of money Paul speaks of is multiplication of resources for sowing. What we're describing and talking about, investment for kingdom purposes or for ministry. God's plan and desire is not to just provide for our needs. His intention is for his people to have more than enough. And I'm going to ask you to do it this week, the first time I've done it. I want you to repeat those words with me. God's intention is for his people to have more than enough. God's intention for his his people is to have more. You're not very enthusiastic about it. You don't all believe it yet. Or you, yeah, yeah. Seed for the sower, bread for eating, and God will also provide and multiply your resources for sowing and increase the fruits of your righteousness, manifest itself in active goodness, kindness, You will be enriched in all things and in every way so that you can be generous and your generosity will bring forth thanksgiving to God. Glory to God. That's why he wants to give us more than enough. If we will live within his economy, if we'll operate according to his ways related to finance, our lives will be a portrait of more than enough, of blessing, of prosperity, and people are going to go, why do you have it like that? I want that. God's people were always designed to be a demonstration, an example, a portrait of the kind of person that is Loving God and being loved by God. Listen to these words from Deuteronomy 28. Scriptures are full of God's desire to bless us. This is long, so just hang with me. You're not going to read this one with me. If you fully obey the Lord your God 
and carefully keep all his commands that I am giving you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the world. You will experience all these blessings if you obey the Lord your God. Obey the Lord your God is live according to his ways. Okay? It's not some big command, meanie God thing. Obey me means live according to the ways that I've communicated to you because honestly, they're the best things for you. You want a good life? You want to be happy? Live according to my ways. Obey my commands. Same thing. God will set you high above all the nations. You will experience all these blessings if you obey the Lord your God. Your towns and your fields will be blessed. Your children and your crops will be blessed. The offspring of your herds and flocks will be blessed. Your fruit baskets and breadboards will be blessed. Wherever you go, whatever you do, you will be blessed. The Lord will conquer your enemies when they attack you. They will attack you from one direction, but they will scatter from you in seven. That's cool. The Lord will guarantee, the Lord will guarantee a blessing on everything you do and will fill your storehouses with grain. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he is giving you if you obey the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. There's that, and walk in his ways. The Lord will establish you as his holy people, as he swore he would do. Then all the nations of the world will see that you are a people claimed by the Lord and they will stand in awe of you. The people of the world the nations of the world will see that you are a people of God and they will stand in awe of you. The Lord will give you prosperity in the land he swore to your ancestors to give you blessing with many children, numerous livestock and abundant crops. Do we get this to what God's intention is? Friends, this is God. The Lord will send rain at the proper time from his rich treasury in the heavens. He'll bless the work that you do. You will lend to many nations, but you will never need to borrow from anyone. We have some compromises in our lives and in the way we're living, the way we're managing finances that need to get addressed. They're hindering God's supply and desire for surplus in our lives. God's blessing, including the abundance described in this passage, was and is for the purpose of being a blessing to others, as that passage in 2 Corinthians 9 declares. Let me demonstrate this. I have an object lesson. I'm not usually an object lesson guy. We have others in the church that do that really, really well. But I'm going to do that. So, um, I'm hoping these don't fall and all that kind of stuff. But What we just described, that picture of God's blessing, is supposed to look something like this. And I did an experiment to see what it actually looked like. But it's supposed to look something like that. Yeah, even the splashing over, I guess, right? God wants to pour into us so that that I'm not going to go all the way so it comes out of here too. That's that's the that's 
That's everybody else down there. Um, that's what God wants. But you see, there's a problem in our lives. There's a lot of problems in our lives. I don't usually carry a pocket knife, but I brought a pocket knife today. Okay, God says, if you live according to my ways, if you walk in my ways, that's what I'm going to do. But when we don't tithe, we poke a hole in the cup. We're cutting off God's ability to bless. When we're overspending, spontaneous, oh, I've got to have that spending. We're getting into debt. We're paying interest now. We're living beyond our means. We're wasting money on things we really don't need. Spotify, Pandora, Netflix. That didn't work last night anyway. We have a problem. Now, that shouldn't be going into the everybody, but you get it, right? God can pour in all he wants. He can just keep pouring every day. It ain't going to stay. It's not going to overflow. In fact, we're not even going to have enough. Why do we not have enough? We have holes in our lives. Sadly, there's another problem. And um, I didn't bring a third cup, but that's all right. So, no, we're good. I'm good. It's all right. It's all right. It'll, it'll still work this way. There are, are some of us who, besides holes in our cups, have really attempted to live according to God's ways. We've tithed. We, we believe that all we have is God's. We, we make a good effort to steward well. But we've never answered the question, how much is enough? So, when we get a raise, instead of God's provision flowing over, we keep it. We just make our cup bigger. And we use more. And the heart of this theme of the multiplication of God's blessing. The multiplication of resources for sowing. The theme of that is we need to learn and put into practice some principles and procedures of God's ways related to finances. And one of those is to put a lid or to close the circle of our finances. To be able to, with God's participation, come to agreement with Him how much is enough. Because this won't work, but neither does this. God's intention is for there to be overflow, but if we were are gripping and clasping and He's giving us opportunity. Those of us, perhaps, who really are trying to do this. Claire and I have wrestled with this for years. We do not have this fixed. 
In 2009, we have these wonderful spreadsheets on closing the circle. They're wonderful. I have great documentation on our expenditures. We even, for three months in a row, I have the records, Claire, three months in a row, we, we paid attention to how much we were spending according to the closed circle, and then we stopped doing that. And I've gotten a raise since then, and we now have two households, and we have not closed the circle. I'm sorry, church, but we're going to work on it again. We have to work on it again. I'm not going to live this way the rest of my life. I want to be one who is a blesser of others. We have done that here and there. We do it. We tithe. We really, we're not, well, Pandora, Spotify, yeah, those are mine. Listen to this passage. Who are they who fear? And if you ever read the word fear of God in the Bible, throw in the word love. There is a meaning to the word fear in the Hebrew of awe and wow and magnificence and all that, like people thought of a king and things like that. That's the word. Love is probably the better word. Who are they that love the Lord? God will teach them how to choose the best. They shall live within God's circle of blessing and their children will inherit the land. The land of others. David says God will teach those who love him to choose the best and to live within God's circle of blessing. How do we go about answering the question, how much is enough? How do we go about closing the circle of our finances so that there will be overflow? To do this, we're going to need some training. We're going to need a few tools. We're going to need accountability. And we're going to need to invite God into that conversation. So I'm going to end with this story because this story is kind of fun and I don't want to use the time next week and then I'll go into a little bit more of what it looks like. Let me just tell you a story. The book we're using as a tool and a resource uh, for this series is called Wealth, Riches, and Money. It's written by two guys, Earl Pitts and somebody else. Earl tells the story in the book that he has a friend who struggled with a weight problem, weighed about 320 pounds. He had tried lots and lots of times on his own to lose weight without any consistent success, and he participated in a university study being done on obesity. The first night session... There were 23 other participants, and it commenced with each person being given a a little black book. Do we have kind of a black book image up there? Should have. Let's see. Do we have next image, anything up there? Yeah, that looks kind of like a little black book. They were given a little black book, not to write down phone numbers of girlfriends, but to write down everything they ate and drank. And to record a reason why they ate or drank the item. So Earl's friend faithfully recorded. I mean, these guys lived with that weight for a long time. You know, who knows, married kids, whatever, just like this is not cool. I need, so I'm going to do this. I'm going to try this. Nothing I've tried before works. I'm not, uh, yeah. So towards the end of the week, he noticed that some of the reasons that he had for eating or drinking what he did were rather lame or no reason at all. Why did you eat that candy bar? Because I wanted it. (laughs) The following Monday night, he and the rest of the participants came together and they were required to read out loud 
everything they had eaten and the reasons why they ate it. And he found he was not alone. Nobody else had reasons why they ate much of what they ate, nor any really good excuses. However, that was just seven days. Then the books were collected, and they were given instead a plastic yellow plate and a plastic yellow cup. And I didn't, we tried coming up with those, but I think we've got an image here. Let's, let's throw up the, the yellow cup and plate here. I'm pretty sure we got that. Okay, so they didn't get multiple ones. They got one. Looks a little green, but that's all right. We'll, we'll pretend. So they got given a yellow plate, normal size, large plate, and they were given four instructions. They could eat whatever their regular meals called for. So there's a little bit of restriction there, but they, they can eat, you know, their diet may require certain kinds of foods, whatever, or they like. It's all right. They can even have second helpings. Eat what you want at mealtime. However, everything they ate or drank had to be eaten from the yellow plate and drunk with the yellow cup. And the plate had to be on a table on a plate place setting. Do we have a picture of that? No, no picture of that. Okay, so at my house and at Tita's house, um, if you go to my mother-in-law's house, she, uh, her dining room table is always set. Is it still? Yeah. I mean, it always was whenever we would go over. And I haven't been at your house for a long time. Um, it's always set. There are place settings. There's cup, knives, and forks, and plates. It's all ready for someone to walk in the house who needs to eat. It's always ready. Well, they had to get a place setting at a table with a chair put their yellow cup and their, and their yellow plate, and that's how they had to eat everything they ate. One more. They were not allowed to watch TV or read anything while eating. The football game. Anthony, what? what? Couldn't watch it. Had to sit at the table to eat. All right. Earl's friend was very skeptical, but he persisted and he followed the rules. In the evening when he normally sat in front of the TV and munched out of a bag of various types of junk food, he now had to place them on his yellow plate in the kitchen at the place setting, sitting down without the TV on. Late at night when he usually raided the refrigerator, standing at the counter with the fridge light on, just taking things out and eating and setting them down, the light from the refrigerator because you don't want to wake anybody up. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that was a problem. So before the end of the week, he realized that this was not only unpleasant, it was a pain in the neck. So the next Monday night, he weighed in and had lost weight. The inconvenience of the yellow plate and cup and sitting at the table with a proper place setting had caused him to cut out irregular eating. It was simply too much trouble to raid the refrigerator at night and snacking in front of the TV was gone. It was too much trouble to set up a place setting for other than the regular meals. So over the weeks of implementing his plan, his weight dropped at five to seven pounds a week, and Earl's friend was able to go from 320 to 190 using a yellow plate and a yellow cup. We need, in order to live within God's circle of blessing, a yellow cup and a yellow plate related to our finances. We need a means, tools, and procedures We need commitment, like Earl's friend. We need intentionality. We need to remember that this is a war. The spirit of mammon is not interested in you getting a closed circle. And we need accountability and help that includes teaching and coaching 
and God's involvement. I'm just going to give you one sneak preview. When Claire and I were working on this closed circle, we had all of our expenses in place and we were reviewing them and looking at how much we'd spent. At some point in the process, you have to ask God, God, what do you think of that number? You've got what you, how you've spent. You've got this historical picture. How have I spent? Here's this total number per month that's been averaged now on this area. And I have to ask God, God, what do you think of that expenditure category? And what do you think about the number? That was perhaps as difficult as all the other work is to accumulate the information, to the commitment, the intentionality, to actually stop with a document in front of us that shows the truth of how we're spending our money and to ask God to give his input was really hard. But if what he wants to do is surplus and his opinion over at this point is going to help us get over there to where we're a blessing to others, to where people look at our lives and go, wow, how in the world do you do that? I want him involved. I want this to happen, and I want it to happen this time. I don't ever want to stand here again and teach this material and say it's not in place. That's my confession to you all. We'll talk a little bit more about what it means to close the circle next week, and then we'll cover one other area that is a challenge to many of us, which is dealing with our debt. Let's pray. Papa, I have uh, prayed practically every single day for decades that I want to walk according to your ways. And I write in my journal almost every day, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be able to say like Paul says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives through me. And it's not in place yet, God. And I want that to change in this area. I want to learn to live according to your ways, and I want my friends here to do the same. So I ask you to help us. We've lived a long time living the way we have. It's going to take some work. And there's going to be pressure to not proceed. And so I really ask you to help us with that. Help us to come alongside one another. Where we have couples in this church who are living according to your ways. Who have learned tools. Might we be open to their support, their encouragement, their help. But beyond even that, God, might we be willing to be transparent with you. To open up our little black books and read them to you. To look at our finances and say, do you really want me to keep Spotify? Or cable? Or those expenses? Help us, oh God. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank you each for coming this morning and hope that you have found here uh, something to encourage you to pursue more of God and his ways. We hope that you felt near to him. 
This concludes this portion of our service. Um, I'm going to go as the speaker. I'm going to go out over by the doors. If you'd like to speak to me about this, I uh, would be happy to do that with you. If you are needing personal prayer, um, if you're feeling within your heart just some wrestling as I am about this process, you may want to allow someone to pray with you this morning about that. You may want to be transparent with another human being and before God. Scripture says, but if we confess our sins before one, if we will confess our sins to one another, I can't quote it. Now, not that one. The one from Hebrews. Never mind. Ah, I can't. I can always quote that one. Anyway. Yeah, you can be healed. If we confess our sins to one another, that you may be healed. It's a declaration. Sorry. Anyway, that's a good principle. Other traditions use it in some different kinds of ways, but it can work in this kind of a setting too. We're going to have some folks over here on your right on the wall with the cross and the communion. You're going to be available to pray with you if you would like personal prayer. There's something you're wrestling with in your life, some issues. Perhaps it's a family member or a situation that you need and would like to talk with someone about. There will be folks there to do that. Please remember to pick up your children. Um, They are ready for you to get them. And I'm going to close now with um, a blessing, as I did last week. (laughs) May all grace come to you in abundance so that you may always and under all circumstances, whatever the need, be fully sufficient, possessing enough to require no aid or support. And might you be furnished in abundance for every good work and charitable donation. In the name of Jesus.